Guys, we have a great episode for you today. We just finished with Pratik Patel. Pratik is in his third season as the Giants Director of Performance Nutrition and also is an assistant strength and conditioning coach with the team. Patel uh, came to the Giants uh, from the University of Oregon, where he was the athletic department's director of sports nutrition since October 2014. Um, His main job was to develop and direct the sports nutrition department and manage the daily nutrition needs for 18 athletic team sports. So now that he's focusing on one team, one sport in particular, he has amazing insights that we're really excited to share with you. This was a really cool conversation to get the perspective of what a professional athlete goes through and how you are training for peak performance on, if you think about it, a weekly basis. What I think we get into is some things that everybody might deal with when it comes to training and nutrition. Um, We uncover that these athletes are in fact human beings, despite their incredible abilities. They still deal with struggles of nutrition and adopting new habits, even if they know that it's good for them. And we talk about some of the fad diets even that are affecting um, some players in the NFL. So a lot of things that you may be dealing with yourself, even these professional athletes are dealing with. And it was fascinating to dive into that. Yeah, as you're listening to this, maybe before you even press play, um, what I'd love for you to make sure that you're getting your mind around is think about how you think you compare to a professional football player because it may be different or maybe not so different with who and how you train. I Yeah, I think especially a lot of our athletes are lifting regularly heavy and then performing in our tone house classes, which can be a higher impact, intense workout. And so you're going to get some good takeaways of how these players are prepping during off season and what they're doing in season and what their different phases of development might be. So without further ado, we're going to dive into this conversation with Pratik Patel. Guys, welcome back to The Breakdown. This is Ryan Turner. And Joe Rodonis. Welcome back, guys. We have an extremely exciting guest today. Uh, his name is uh, Pratik Patel. Pratik Patel, uh, he is in his third season as uh, the Giants Director of Performance Nutrition. Um, he's also the Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach over there, which is uh, amazing to talk to, just knowing how much you guys are into your fitness. And we want to have help you understand what it takes for a professional athlete to train and how to fuel that. Um, Joe, we're going to have some pretty good questions today. Big time. Um, why don't we get started here by maybe understanding what uh, what it took for Pratik to get where he is today. 100%. Yeah, Pratik, could you, uh, like, I'm fascinated. Like, how did your background in, in, you know, your interest in nutrition and sports performance, where did that even start for you, if you could take us back in your background? Yeah, that, that started for me when I was in high school. You know, as a kid growing up, I was into sports. And it wasn't anything my parents really pushed me into, but I really gravitated towards soccer and basketball and was okay, not a great athlete. And unfortunately went through a period of, you know, sedentary habits, physical inactivity, heading into high school. 
And I know that, you know, sports had always stuck with me and I wanted to at least enjoy some of that in high school and kind of change my outlook and maybe popularity a little bit. So I ended up taking a pretty deep dive into learning as much as I could about nutrition. And back then that, you know, defaulted to me just going to the grocery store or GNC and picking up whatever muscle magazine they had and trying to teach myself about nutrition through that. Um, and fortunately, even though that wasn't the right, the right resource to use or the outlet to seek info from, I ended up transforming my body a little bit, got back into shape and kind of fell in love with the whole process of training and nutrition and was able to, you know, play football from the track team heading into college and really enjoyed it and figured if, you know, I could change my outlook from high school on and change my body and learn all this stuff about nutrition and exercise. Maybe that's something I could do as a career. And when I, I went to Kansas State for my undergrad, and they've got a good dietetics program. So I talked to a couple of the advisors out there, and they mentioned, you know, what a registered dietitian did. And they had an undergraduate option that could allow students to take the core classes and then get the degree and then be able to match up, hopefully, with an internship and do a dietetic internship and then sit for the ERD exam. So I ended up going that route and was fortunate enough to get matched at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, did my internship out there, had some experiences working with some athletes, did a rotation in Texas with, you know, teams, learned a little bit from some dietitians out there, moved back to Kansas, uh, did some more volunteer experiences. So kind of getting my foot in the door with working with athletes because I knew that I didn't necessarily want to do nutrition in the hospital. I wanted to work with an athletic setting. So that's really where it, it started for me. And fortunately, you know, did a grad internship, a graduate assistantship at K-State and got a chance to work with the men's basketball team for a couple of years, which then led me to a position at Michigan State and then the University of Oregon and then now here with the Giants. Wow, that's some serious momentum you built there pretty quick. Yeah, you know, it, it's just one of those things where one thing kind of led to another and I never really imagined myself working in the NFL. That wasn't ever a goal that I, I thought what I wanted to aspire to. I just kind of just, you know, was surveying my situation, what my skills were, what I was actually able to do with the opportunities in front of me, you know, maximize the skill set, did as much learning as I could, and then took on to the next opportunity. I was, I was going to ask that as well. If, if you ever kind of had either it in your forefront, just trying to say, I'm going to work in the NFL, if that's what you want to do. Uh, there's a lot of sports dietitians that kind of seek out the NFL, maybe because they feel like it pays better. Um, and they're chasing money. Um, so I don't know if football was ever in your interest. Um, it's kind of sounds like with your background as soccer and basketball, but being a dietitian myself and also knowing a lot of younger dietitians and taking on interns, I think that's a really great example of how to uh, lead um, your uh, your future. You need to almost kind of let go a little bit, right? It sounded like you just traveled all over and you just took advantage of the opportunity that was in front of you. That is a, that is a, a, a great tool, a great uh, message just in itself. Yeah, I, you know, I never really had my heart set on just this one school or this one location because sometimes end up doing that they build up their expectations so much where they fixate so much on you know I'm, I'm going to be an NFL dietitian or an NFL strength coach or what have you just because instead of thinking more about their opportunities and their impact and leaving a legacy they're chasing the shield or they're chasing mm-hmm. the salary you know I've had the opportunity to talk with a lot of performance directors and coaches whoever you who have you around the world that have worked in professional settings and they realize now that you know they do feel success 
having been in their roles at a professional level or a very high level, but that's not necessarily the best thing that they should have been looking at while they were making this career ascension. And I think a lot of people have that situated in their mind that that's the only way that they could feel that they're successful or validate their success. And I think that's not necessarily the best way to look at it. How do you define success out of curiosity for yourself? <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, there's this, there's this book by Anthony Rana called be like the best. And he has interviewed all of his guests, whether they're strength coaches, the physical therapist, there's a dietitian or two in there. And he asked him that question. And this is something that I've thought about quite a bit over the past few years. Now, I feel like I have been successful, but they're more striving to want to do more. I think if you would have asked me this question five years ago when I was working at Oregon, like my definition of success was only if we would have won a national championship. And, you know, fortunately for us, we played in the first ever college football national championship but we didn't win the game. And I kind of picked that really hard. And obviously I don't have a huge impact on wins and losses. It's, it's silly to think that, but at that time I did. And that's the way I thought of success back then. But now, you know, especially with what's happened in the past week or so with Kobe Bryant and whatnot, how he's touched so many people across the country, even people that don't even know him. Like, I don't know him. You know, I'm probably, I think I'm two degrees separation from him because I do know a lot of players in the NBA and a lot of players on our team kind of know him. I think, you know, success is more defined as, you know, leaving a legacy, having a positive impact on people, regardless of, you know, how much money you make or how happy you are. I think some people would answer, you know, just, doing what you love every day and having the motivation to do it every day and not feel like you really work it a day in your life. I think that's more of what I currently define as my definition of success. I love that success mainly because uh, your success involved the team and the team winning. And it wasn't about you, uh, you know, your impact alone. It was with everybody. Uh, and I think that that is a good message around kind of how a dietitian can fit into a sports team for sure. I'm sure you feel that way as well when you are working with the Giants as, uh, as well. Yeah, I, I mean, when I left Oregon and when I left Michigan State, you know, I, I still felt that there was so much more that I could have done, but I was, I was ready to move on because I think my development, my learning and growth in the positions were really flatlining and I was ready for mm-hmm. the next challenge. So, you know, my, my, my role, my position can be filled really easily. I mean, you can find a dietitian there. You can find a strength coach anywhere. There's thousands across the country, but what really meant a lot to me. And I didn't really notice this was when I had left just the interactions I had with players. Like I was getting phone calls, texts, letters written to me about mm-hmm. the, the way I worked with them was a little bit different than anybody else that they had interacted with. And the, stuff that I taught them had nothing really to do with, you know, portion sizes and pre and post workout stuff or, you know, eat this, eat that, sleep. It was more of just kind of the attitudes, the life lessons, the experiences and, you know, the relationship that was built. So I thought that was Yeah, I think I think just like training, Joe, I think you can also say this is that it becomes almost like a like a psychology session. Sometimes mm-hmm. you become a counselor in some way because you're, you're understanding how someone eats, why they eat. You're getting back into details of their past life, uh, you know, why they like a certain thing or why they don't. Um, you get into certain things. You talk about finances. Why, you know, why can you or can't you uh, maybe afford that kind of thing? Right. And uh, you're people have to be able to open themselves up a little bit. So you really do become almost like a like a friend, a therapist. Right. You have this deep relationship relationship with them, um, with nutrition and with training. And, uh, I hear that. 
So with the Giants, when you are uh, thinking about how to feed your players, um, I think the, something we wanted to understand a little more was kind of around the, um, the programming, the periodization, really, of how that changes throughout the year. Um, we, what do you really see? What's the biggest change in a, in a professional athlete's diet um, from the uh, from preseason to in season to off season? Because um, I'm sure tra- I I know training changes, um, but how how does that start? How do you start planning that out? Yeah, a lot of it really starts once we understand what the off season training schedule looks like. So every team's going to report in April. If you have a new head coach like we do, you're allowed to start up to two weeks earlier. But if you start two weeks earlier, you have to give the players a break for a week because there's only X number of weeks that teams are allowed to. But the new coaching staff, they're installing new offense, new defense, new schemes, new concepts. So there definitely is a little bit more of a learning curve. And once we get an idea of what the practices look like, then we kind of work backwards. And, you know, our head strength coach does all the programming and conditioning for all the on-field stuff and then the weight room stuff that we're going to end up doing. And what I do is, you know, I work with our head chef and I make sure that, you know, depending on if we're going to go Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, or if we're going to go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, because we can only go uh, four days during phase one and phase two, that just allows me to get more of an idea of what items we need to have based on, you know, when they're going to be lifting, when they're going to be on the field, when they're going to be off the field, what group is going to be in the weight room, what group is going to be in meeting. That way we make sure we have all of our bases covered. And when the off-season training program starts, phase one is very uh, mild in terms of intensity and work output, which just means that the team is just going to be lifting and conditioning with us. And then they'll be in meetings with their coordinators and position coaches. And then they're, they're out. You know, they're limited to X number of hours in the building during phase one and phase two, and same thing when phase three happens. And that was all agreed upon with the last CBA. And obviously the players and the owners association are, are hammering out another one. And we'll see, hopefully they'll be able to get that in time for the next season. But it's trying to get as much done as possible in a short amount of time. So really, we're talking about it. The energy expenditure is pretty low during phase one and phase two. So I'm not crazy worried about you know thinking about recovery and the main thing is just understanding what kind of shape the players are in when they come back because you know once the season is over they have that last day up until they have to report for off-season training to do whatever they want hopefully most of our guys are being responsible in training so that way they don't have to use the off-season training program to get into shape like was which was done years ago in the nfl that way they're ready to go and we don't have to wait around for somebody to get up to speed or to accumulate, you know, certain yardage to be able to function at their position. So phase two is very similar to phase one, where they're actually go on the field with their position coaches and just kind of do drills. There's a lot of rules with what they can and can't do. So most of them are just wearing, you know, like shorts and I believe helmets too. Pads aren't allowed. And you can't throw the football. You can't go offense versus defense. There's no contact. So it's kind of like a, a very watered down individual period that they're going through. And then once we get into phase three, the OTAs, the organized team activities, that's when you have more of a practice structured feel where the players are wearing, you know, their helmets, their, uh, not their full shoulder pads. We call them like spiders, which give a little bit of protection to the upper body. And then they wear shorts too. So there isn't a ton of physical contact. You can't tackle or wrap and take somebody to the ground. 
and they're still, you know, going after it, but it's, it's definitely much more intense than what they were doing in phase one and phase two. So that's when, you know, if we have a guy who is just not in shape or he's got way outside of what his body comp goals were, then we try to be as aggressive as we can in phase one and phase two, because that way, at least when they get to phase three, they're a little bit more ahead of the curve than when they started. So, uh, but the same token, that's just generally how, you know, the off-season training program goes, and then we'll introduce the rookies too and kind of put them through some of the similar processes. Pretty, I'm curious. I've always been kind of curious about this, but like how long do phase one and phase two generally last for you guys then? It's uh, two weeks. That's a, that's a really sh- that's shorter than I would have expected. Yeah, it's definitely sh- it's very short. So you can imagine if, you know, we have a guy who comes back 20 pounds overweight and, you know, this, this happens to a lot of teams and it really, the onus is completely on the players because they know exactly what they need to be doing and they know what weight they should be reporting back at. You know, it, it obviously is not a good impression on a new staff, which, you know, I wouldn't recommend any of our players even toe the line being even like five pounds overweight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it, it, you know, there's not a lot of time to have them get into you know, quote unquote, practice shape once we start OTAs because, you know, the only way they can really get into shape is by doing football activities. So there's not a whole lot extra they can really do themselves outside of just doing extra cardio sessions because we're not going to lift them anymore. We can't do any extra uh, conditioning like they would in college where it would be considered more of a punishment as opposed to actually helping them improve their health status. But yeah, it's just, it's a short amount of time. This is fascinating to me. So, cause in my, in my head, uh, and based on what I know from strength training, I had kind of thought that there would be say a three month period minimum where you're like building strength back up in the athlete where you're like in the weight room, you have on a structured program with conditioning before you get back into like those skilled kind of drills and team practices, you know, um, uh, that you would see in the off season. Um, cause I had heard, and, and I would love for you to speak on this, obviously that you would build muscle, say during the off season, gain your weight back up, kind of refuel yourself from the beating that you took during season. And then a player would during season kind of gradually even lose weight because you're not lifting as much. I don't know if that's true, but do you, you kind of know what I'm talking about? I'm curious about that. Yeah, and it really, it kind of goes person to person and you see trends in some of the different position groups, but even amongst different players in the position groups, you just have all sorts of, you know, tendencies that players tend to fill. And a lot of it just really has to do with who that person is and how much they invest and how much they buy into taking care of what they need to. A lot of these guys are, are very knowledgeable and they know their bodies, just like the back of their hand. So they know that, you know, once off-season training starts, and they start ramping things up, they'll be able to lose a little bit of weight. So they, they might come in a little bit heavy, but it won't be anything extreme. Uh, for, for some of the other players, like our skilled players, we tend to see some of their losses more during the season, training for the end of the season, especially if it's a younger guy or they're playing more snaps than they had played before. And the game's a lot more physical and it's a lot more mental than what they were used to, even though they have access to so many more resources a lot of it now is they have complete autonomy to choose whether they want to participate in taking advantage of those resources or not. And they might just fall into bad habits because now there isn't anybody to hold their hand like there was in college. And we can't, we can't punish them. We don't want to punish them because that's not what being professional is all about. 
uh, you know, there, there is so much handholding and babysitting you can do that it still happens to, to this day. And most of it is with some of the rookies or some of the younger players that just, that needed that extra help in college just because they haven't matured fully into a professional. But, you know, the off-season program goes for about 10 weeks. And then they get a five-week break, and then they report for training camp. So what happens is, I mean, it, it, in a perfect world, it would be awesome to have, you know, months to be able to build up load, to have just this really great mesocycle lifting put together, and then roll straight into, you know, the preseason, and then roll into the season. But that five-week period that they get off can do a lot of damage. And, you know, that was originally what was instilled in the CBA, and that's what players wanted, and that's what the owners agreed to. So that's another time period where we're all like kind of holding our breath. So, you know, we, we don't know if these guys are actually still continuing to, you know, reach high top speeds, build load on the field, at least get some type of movement under their belt. And it's not necessarily we're worried about lifting because strength qualities will last for weeks. It's, you know, if these guys were running 19, 20, 21 miles an hour when they left us, you know, once OTAs were done, odds are that they're probably not hitting those speeds off by themselves because it's difficult to replicate what they do outside of, you know, having 11 guys on the side. It's difficult to do that when you're in California, you know, running routes on the stand or something like that. So they'll return back to us and, you know, the head coach has the practice script set and it's generally going to match the workload that we had left them with at the end of off season training. That way, you know, because the preseason starts the second week of training camp, we don't want to, waste any of those practices because again we're evaluating everybody we also got to get their conditioning levels up to play that first game in september so you know sometimes disaster can strike and we generally have seen and this is nfl wide most of the injuries occur after that first week in training camp where guys are thrown right back into the fire and if, if they had taken care of business then it's not that big of an issue but you add on the fact that they had five weeks off they weren't managing their load or doing what they should have been doing and now it's hotter much hotter than when they had left. Yeah, it makes sense. That's where you see a lot of these problems. So, you know, a lot of the changes in weight are because of fluid issues, and we do a lot of sweat testing and uh, sweat rate and sweat concentration. So we know most of the stuff, but because the roster is always evolving, we'll have a handful of new players that we don't know anything about, and we don't know about their habits. We don't know what they've been taught at other teams or what resources have been provided to them in the past. We have to, as quickly as possible, try to gauge their habits and understand how they work and operate and what they need, you know, right there on the spot. This is really exciting to hear just because it sounds like there's so many moving pieces and I'm, I'm sure I'm saying exciting and you're almost a little bit like nervous. It's like you're kind of ripping off the blindfold when everyone comes back. You're not really sure how they're going to be reporting to you guys in phase one. Um, and as you were mentioning, uh, these athletes, we forget, at least I do. I don't know, Joe, if you can kind of say this and critique. I don't know if you can also uh, project on this a little bit. Sometimes we forget how young some of these players are and where they are, where their mentality is and where they're going back. I think in my mind, I'm like, okay, it's the off season. They're training every day. They're working really hard, but sometimes they're just going back to hang out with their parents, right? They're going on vacation or something. Um, and I don't know if that's actually true, but the mentality of a younger individual, I know where I was at that age sometimes, and it was really hard to make sure that I'm taking advantage of anything I have, whether it's going to be me just, you know, having legs that I'm able to walk on versus having an opportunity in the NFL. Um, I think that that is something that we really can't forget. 
Um, but I was, I was curious being the, uh, the dietitian at that point from phase one through phase three, I'm trying to picture where you are, say, uh, on the field in the facility. Are you, are you having a major role? Like, um, I was, I was going to say getting up in their face. That's not what I mean by this, but kind of being involved with them. Are you meeting with them individually? Or are you, are you really kind of sitting back watching maybe who needs a little bit more support at this point or hearing maybe what the strength coach or the coaches want you to do? Mm. Are you, are you formulating through phase one and through phase, I guess phase one and two, right? Cause in phase three, that's where you're starting to maybe implement and trying to help people out a little bit more. I don't know. Um, but what, what are you, what are you doing? What's your mentality in phase one and phase two? Are you just kind of taking it all in? No, I think, you know, having been with the team already three years, sitting in my fourth, and we do have a lot of players that we already know about, you know, we might have a couple new additions heading into what our roster looks like when we start off season training. So we've got a good idea of where these guys left off, you know, all of the assessments, all the biomarkers, everything. So we've got more of a formulated plan, especially having gone through, you know, the full evaluation with our entire coaching staff and personnel staff and gauging what our new coaching staff has seen from all of the different players that they've either seen on tape or in person, because now we only, we've only kept a couple from the previous staff. And obviously, fortunately enough, uh, our same conditioning staff and myself, were all still intact. So now it's, you know, uh, in the next couple of weeks, I'll still be talking with each one of the new position coaches and coordinators, kind of just explaining more information about what we have on all of our players and with the new schemes that are coming up and how they feel that each player is going to be utilized, what they could do to improve. So those conversations will be had. And then, you know, since we only have a small amount of time in offseason training and, you know, fortunately, I've built up enough of a rapport with the players where I can be very aggressive on the front end without being offensive. And they know where I'm coming from you know, the second they walk in that door, it's like, all right, this is exactly what's going on. And the reason is that this is the way we feel that you could excel in the system in your role because of this is what the head coach and the coordinator and the position coach wants. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping the guy's mindset is, yeah, I think that that makes sense. I definitely want to abide by it because it's a whole new staff and they're not going to, you know, they're not going to take any, unprofessionalism they want guys that are really going to want to be better because again we've got a lot of cap room of free agency and sometimes these these coaches aren't necessarily married to players that they weren't the ones who either drafted them or brought them in so the goal is to give them the best opportunity for as long as possible to make sure that we take care of them the first couple phases and once phase three happens then be a little bit more aggressive because we are going to be on the field and it's going to be the first time they've practiced since the end of december so almost four, four and a half months. So Pratik, I, I got a couple questions for you kind of with that, but, but to set the stage, I'm curious, can you describe what your, maybe your general philosophy with nutrition to drive peak performance is for your athlete? Like how you approach it? Yeah. And it's kind of evolved, you know, some of the, the main facets are still there. You know, a lot of people say food first, this and that, and, for me, it's just understanding the athlete and exactly where I feel that they can improve upon and then getting a chance to see what their knowledge base is and what they feel is important and kind of meeting them halfway because there's a lot of players that aren't going to do A, B, and C and X, Y, and Z. You know, from a dietitian's perspective, we know how important nutrition is and how it can be a positive influence on them day in and day out. 
uh, you know, back in the day, I'd say, you know, eat the right foods and fluids in the right amounts at the right time for optimal health performance. And, you know, there, there is a lot of that that does go around, but at the same time, I've got to be able to mold that strategy for, you know, up to 90 different players in the off season and make sure that they're doing what they need to be doing. Now, some guys need a lot more attention than others. Some are just professionals and I really don't have to monitor, which is great because with such a short amount of time that they're in the building, I can't just see, you know, every single player every single day. So that's where we kind of red flag our guys that we know need a little bit of work. They're the ones that I legitimately have to grab the second they come into the building and make sure that they do this, this, and this. And it's the same with the interactions that they have with the medical staff and then the other same coaches and then the position coaches. It's, it's the ones that are still kind of young and still figuring things out and, you know, hoping that they learn how to be a professional. But I don't know if there's just one, you know, overarching tagline that I use as my philosophy. It's just being smart and trying to figure out all the different areas that nutrition, hydration, supplementation can improve this person using all the different assessment methods that we use and just using, you know, observation, subjective and objective measures and then tailoring it to this person's individual needs. You know, this is something that I need to be there every single day to hand them something or can I just tell them something and then mm -hmm. let them go and figure it out on their own? Do I need to text them reminders or, you know, pictures, show things visually? Do I just need to tell it to them on the phone? Do I need to be in front of their face every day? You know, and again, it's not for every player. It's the ones that need more attention day in and day out. And Pratik, do you see uh, the same maybe pitfalls or this uh, the same kind of mistakes that people are making, say, from the, the general population uh, versus a college athlete versus a professional athlete? Or are there different challenges that maybe a professional athlete really comes across? Maybe it's eating more volume of something. Maybe it's just, uh, I don't know, focusing more on supplementation. I don't, I don't know what that might be, but what is there some of that crossover that kind of links everybody? To an extent, I think so. You know, I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, not everybody's going to have a high level of nutrition education and knowledge just right out the gate. And, and it really depends individually how important people feel nutrition is because we're dealing with some players that have, you know, grown up in low, you know, socioeconomic status families whose parents maybe both had to work or they only had one parent in the house. And they were only exposed to a lot of processed foods, a lot of fast food, because that was what was only available to them. So they only know what they know from what was provided to them. So a lot of these guys haven't really spent time eating vegetables or learn about the benefits of, you know, all these micronutrients and proper supplementation to where they feel it's not needed and or since it's so foreign to them, they're not going to buy into it. So I would say all three of those groups definitely have, a knowledge deficit, but it just depends on, you know, what their relationship is with food and has anybody ever tried to teach them before. I would say in college, it's gotten a lot better, especially with the large investing that, you know, D1 schools and a lot of, you know, D2 and D3 schools have done in terms of feeding their athletes. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just, it's still not exactly where it needs to be. I think, you know, making sure that athletes have access to the appropriate you know, amount of calories and the timing of, of nutrients is there. I think quality is still an issue and you're always going to deal with large sponsorship groups and, 
vendors and marketing um, obligations. So that's going to kind of overrule what you would ideally want to bring in, especially at the college level, uh, at the pro level. Now these guys are completely on their own. Their college, they were on their own, but now it's they're on their own. So when they leave the building and now they have money, it's now we're in the day, day and age where they don't want to go grocery shopping. They don't want to cook and they might not even have those skills. Maybe they learned it in college, but now after a day of you know learning NFL football and getting beat up, they don't want to just think about that. So everybody's getting on an app of Uber Eats or DoorDash and just getting whatever it is. And it's probably not the healthiest option. Uh, so I think, you know, every person's relationship with food is different. You're going to see a lot more of people buying into fads and falling into the traps of what's being you know, popularized by social media or the media in general, with the general population, and then with the subset of our athletes. Because now our athletes at the professional level realize that their body and being healthy is their way of making a living. And if they're not doing a lot of different things to make sure that they're able to perform, not only in practice, but also, you know, especially on game days, then they're not going to be in the league very long because not a single athlete in the league is 100% healthy. Sure. So yeah. I think with the, with the general population, it's difficult because now you're talking about so many different people, so many different backgrounds, different genetics, epigenetics, different anthropological beginnings, you know, and we just are really starting to hit the forefront of a lot of different things that haven't been studied. But, you know, as, as evidence-based practitioners, we can't really dive 100% into recommending that everybody needs to be on a ketogenic diet or everybody needs to be on carnivore. People really need to stop eating certain plants because of anti-nutrients and, you know, lectins and this and that if they have an autoimmune condition. So that's when it becomes a little bit difficult work with the general population. But with, with professional athletes, they, if, you know, if they see something on Netflix or see something on social media, that's when their interest is peak. And they're easily swayed. You know, they're not meant to read the research and really, you know, weigh the pros and cons of it. They'll just kind of take things at face value. So that's when, you know, us as a group, we've got to kind of reel them back in and, and do a little bit more explaining, especially for the ones that are interested, because then, you know, they're the ones that are going to be making these choices in the end. Pratik, what are, what are some of those trends that, that you're maybe combating currently, like those popular trends? Yeah, I think right now it's, it's mainly just in the off season players feel like they need to lose a ton of weight or lose a lot of fat. So they want to go keto. And even, even that's a misnomer. Like people don't even know the proper way and how to use the terms. It's not ketogenic diet. It's getting in and out of ketosis and having metabolic flexibility. That's mm-hmm. what people don't understand that that can actually be beneficial for a lot of people. But, uh, also, you know, I had mentioned this to somebody like obviously vegans a lifestyle, but it's also a fad because that's what's being talked about quite a bit. And I, I spoke to one of our, our players right before he left. He said he wanted to try a vegan diet and him and his girlfriend were going to do it for 30 days. And I said, you know what, that's fine. But because you're going to be lifting and training during this time, I want you to tell me, you know, how deep are you going? Is it just, you're going to be vegetarian and you're going to eat eggs and you're going to have protein powder or are you going hundred percent in? And he said, well, I'm going hundred percent. in." I'm like, okay, now this is what, based on what you've told me and the foods you like and what you plan, these are the supplements you're going to take because when you were eating meat, you were getting it. Now you're not eating meat. You're not. And I had put together just an insane, I, like this gigantic bag, which was absurd. And I wrote out, 
you know, detailed instructions of what to take and when I just thought like, this is, this is not necessarily the best course of action for, you know, athletes that have hundreds of pounds of lean body mass and who are throwing themselves into car accidents week after week. Mm -hmm. But I feel, you know, if you're, if you're a different type of athlete, you're very regimented, you can stick with it and you're very motivated to do so. Uh, it, it could be beneficial, but a lot of our guys just want to try just to just to try it. And so after, you know, three or four weeks, he came back. I talked to him. I'm like, well, how do you feel? He's like, you know what? I actually do feel better. I'm like, well, do you feel better because you're not playing football in season or do you feel better because you think it's because of diet? He's like, um, well, no one, because I'm not playing football right now. I'm like, well, there you go. Okay. That's, that's an interesting thing. I feel like that, uh, you know, veganism is something that is, is very much just like you're saying, it's a fad. Um, and unless people really know how to do it, cause I've even laid out a full vegan plan for people before and they walk away like, Oh yeah, no, no, no. I, I tried, I couldn't do it. It's just, it's hard <laughs> because sometimes the, the time investment, the financial investment, right. Um, how, how committed you have to be. It's, it, it is a lifestyle, just like you said, Pratik. Um, is this, I, I don't, I don't know if you want to blanket this statement, but would you say that veganism is something you'd recommend to, um, any type of athlete in particular? Um, what, what, and you know, what, what, what should someone do if they're thinking about going that direction? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we can't just completely cut it off for all athletes. Yeah. I think for athletes that do compete in high intense sports, especially, you know, like football or those that expend a tremendous amount of energy or athletes that have a high, high amount of muscle mass that already have major issues eating and have trouble just being consistent with, you know, basic sports nutrition one-on-one. It's going to be really difficult for them to achieve what they need to. You know, there's no, there's no published study out there that shows that there's any diet out there that can give you all of the necessary required micronutrients, even if you are eating meat. So if you start going one way and you're going vegan, then you're, you're kind of cutting out a lot of beneficial things to begin with. And then you're just kind of supplement on top of that. Now, I mean, there are dangers to supplementation too, because you're just opening up a whole can of taking all these pills, all these powders, all these droppers, and hopefully it's third party tested NSF, this and that. But I think for, for those athletes that are very disciplined and are motivated that can follow plans very easily. And there's a lot out there, whether you're a single person sport, you're, um, you know, it, it can be done with, with some team sports, but that person really has to be very disciplined and dedicated to doing it and making sure that, you know, they're aware of, all of the different macronutrients or micronutrients they're not going to get in the appropriate amounts if they just go full on vegan. And there is a bad way to do vegan too. You know, if you just eat bagels and chips and whatnot, then you can consider that being a vegan as well. So being vegan doesn't automatically mean you're going to be healthier. Yeah. I think we even talked on this podcast and Joe and I mm -hmm. in, um, just in private before about, you know, living on the fringe of nutrition and needing to define yourself as such because not everyone needs to just say, okay, I need to be vegan. And ha I have to fit into these rules. Well, maybe you can be, you know, partially eating that way and then being able to take in some other food that can end up benefiting you. Um, but I want to just move. Do you have anything you want to mention? I do. I want to, yeah. I want to just kind of, uh, I want to, I think 
we're touching on this, but just for the sake of our listeners, I kind of want to just really uh, hammer this down with nutrition and just diets or plans in general. Um, what we're uncovering, I mean, it looks like you're being so individualistic with everybody that you're approaching, right? And we're saying, Hey, here's a vegan diet and maybe it's good for some, maybe it's not good for others, or this is good for this reason and not good for this reason. Um, people in the industry and just like people that, you know, clients that talk to me and anybody in the industry is always looking for that silver bullet kind of solution. The one thing like, do you, do you believe in that? Do you think that there is one way for all of us to eat basically, or is this a, individual journey. No, uh, there's no one way for everybody to eat the same way. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of factors that go into this. And, you know, I've experienced it a lot with my own family members. You know, a lot of my family members are vegetarian and or vegan for ethical reasons and religious reasons, not necessarily myself or, you know, my, like my father and my sister aren't either. But you know, my mom's got autoimmune conditions. My sister has conditions. So the way that I would eat and the way that I would train would not work for either of them. So that right there in and of itself, even they we have the same genetics, what I do wouldn't be good for them. In the same way that if you had, you know, somebody who just significantly overweight and they were exercising, uh, I don't think they would do well on, you know, high carb diet. The same way if you had somebody that had a specific, uh, I want to say, health issue or chronic issue or, you know, cancer or something along those lines. I mean, everything has to be very individualized because people's responses, even diets that have been studied. Like I put athletes on, you know, diets that have been studied to show that, you know, this is going to lean them out. This is going to gain muscle mass. And I haven't really seen any changes. I've seen detrimental changes. So in my head, I'm thinking, well, they can't, even though this stuff has been studied, it hasn't been studied exactly in the same population that I'm working with and or it hasn't been studied in the same genetic background, ancestral background of the population that I'm working with. So it's not always, you know, an apples for apples situation. You always got to sub out some different kinds of fruits. So it's apples for oranges. So that's where we have to take a step back and understand that, you know, everybody wants the easy answer. They want the silver bullet and people in the fitness industry and even the nutrition industry have unfortunately you know, sensationalize their dogma or their agenda in terms of nutrition. And they try to throw it out there for everybody saying that, Oh, since I did this, my N equals one and my buddy did this and, and he joined in my N equals one. Now it's N equals two. Everybody else can fall in line and do exactly the way, do exactly what I did and have the exact same results. But that's not even true. Even going back to when I was in grad school, I, I was working out a certain way and I was eating a certain way and I was very lean and very happy with the way my body was. And then obviously that, that changes, you know, life happens, you progress in the career, stress increases, your ability to sleep decreases. And so, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of mimic what I had done back then. And I did almost the exact same plan, try to do the exact same workouts and I wasn't seeing the same results. So even myself, I have to change what I had done before to meet the needs of what, my lifestyle is now what I'm experiencing, you know, through life and stress and whatnot to be able to match what my goals are. So even doing the same thing that I'd done before didn't even work. So I think it's, it's gotta be highly individualized. Some of that just definitely does change over time. Yeah, that's such a good point. I feel like someone can find that quote unquote silver bullet in that one point in their life, but then they evolve and their diet has to evolve with them. So we have to stay open minded. We have to be flexible. Um, people don't like what I call that gray area. You know, they don't they don't want to put in the time to figure it out. And they just they just want something easy. 
Um, so I wanted to know one thing, maybe you can answer this because I wanted to move on to understanding how you're dealing with your athletes once you move in, uh, into the, uh, the preseason and then maybe into in season. Um, I did want to know the best way that you found to disseminate information, um, because if you end up having these larger um, topics to cover and you've been, I think most of our conversation now has been really focusing on the individual, which I think is amazing. Who doesn't want that? That's how it should be in my mind. Right. But it's not always easy. And we need to disseminate information in some way that catches attention. Right. And that people are able to just grab onto and they want to implement. So I'm sure that, you know, when, when, I, when I'm doing those kind of things with Tone House or some of the, just the people in the community, I have to somehow get creative in some way, right? And it can be tiring. It's something where you're trying to kind of get everyone involved and everyone interested and not everyone wants to get interested the same way. So I'm sure that your players end up uh, being a challenge and you need to figure out what keeps them interested in that type of information. Um, and maybe as you move on, to the in-season, you still have to get this type of um, nutrition information out to them. So maybe you can answer it here. But I'm curious, once once you've gone through um, preseason um, and you're moving into in-season, how, how is your role changing? Are you working closer with the chef at this point? Are you still working um, very individually with everyone? The fact that these athletes are playing at such a high level, I'm sure nutrition changes, supplementation changes. Um, you're now focusing more on recovery than you are maybe on like weight loss type of things. Um, but how, how is your life changing? How is your job changing? How is your message to these players changing as you move into the in season? Yeah, you know, once we finish our last preseason game and our roster gets cut down, I mean, then it's just go time. Then we're going into the first practices, heading into our first game. Uh, generally, that's on a Sunday. I don't think we played any Monday or Thursday games, first game of the year. But that's when, obviously, we get more of an idea of what the practice schedule is going to look like during the year. So our, our former practice schedule would be, you know, game Sunday. Monday is just a lift with the entire team. They do a couple meetings, then they're out the door. Tuesday is a player off day. Wednesday and Thursday are the practices, you know, gearing towards what, you know, the installs are going to be and what plays we're going to try to run on Sunday. Friday is a, a faster practice, a little bit shorter. And, and then Saturday is a walkthrough. So knowing that the most intense days, and it's obviously Sunday of the game, the most intense days that they're going to face are going to be Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday. So kind of working backwards and making sure that we have everything available for them to make sure we're covering them for practice, whether it's, you know, the appropriate things to get them ready for meetings, get a good breakfast in. If they're lifting, then we have everything available for those times. And then understanding, you know, what is the practice load? What kind of workload are we seeing with certain position groups? Because we do, you know, each position group, has certain tendencies that they'll, they'll follow throughout the entire year. Now, the O-line, D-line, they don't generally hit very high top speeds. There's not a lot of sprinting with them, but they're going through these micro-collisions, you know, every play in the trenches. So that can be very taxing, and that increases energy expenditure, but it's a little bit different than your skilled players, like your receivers and defensive backs that are covering the most ground on the field, but they're hitting the highest speeds. So, you know, that adds increases energy expenditure too. And then you also factor in those players that are playing a lot of special teams and, you know, depending on what period it is and who the coach is for that period and what the head coach wants to do, we might just go 
uh, full cover, which just means these players are just going to be sprinting all out multiple times, you know, for the course of, you know, 10 minutes or so for however long the period is. So that allows us to get an idea of what is the energy expenditure and what does it kind of look like in terms of what they're doing out on the field. So that means, you know, when we're in off season, we weren't really focusing that much on recovery because we want to take advantage of some trading adaptations. We want the guys to get stronger, make the largest changes in body composition heading into training camp. So that's when we don't really worry about you know, providing them with certain drinks or certain supplements after practice or after lifts. But now we've got to take care of these guys. Like these are the 53 guys on the roster. And again, it changes because, you know, we won't always end with the same 53 that we started the season with no team. will. <laughs> well, we just got to make sure that I was just sorry, uh, I was just I was just thinking you putting so much effort into one guy and then he gets traded and you're like, oh, my God, yeah. all that effort. <laughs> Where do I, what do I do now? <laughs> it's true. And we'll, we'll pick a guy up off the street. Maybe, you know, we had a free agent tryout because that's what happens consistently throughout the year. And obviously that's our GM's job. His job is to make sure that we have the best 53 man rosters so to say, you know, one team has a lot of good, you know, cornerbacks and they just can't carry them all into the season because they're on big contracts and they're satisfied with their top four or what have you. So, you know, the, the bottom five or six get cut. Well, maybe five, you know, quarterback five or six is better than our three and four. So obviously, you know, we want to make sure that we have the best players. So we bring them in, you know, it could be they just got on a red eye and they got in the morning, they do their physical and the first time we see them is when, you know, they're out there on the field. So that's one of those things where it's like, shoot, I, at his locker, I need to make sure he's got at least something to hydrate with, some kind of electrolyte, some kind of carbohydrate. That way he's not just going into this practice just completely depleted without any, you know, nutrition, running on no sleep, because that just skyrockets the risk of injury. And that's, that's stuff that's happened before too. So just making sure that those major practice days are covered you know, and then we have everything we need at the hotel, whether it's home or away. We have everything at the game, the stadium, everything post-game. Because, again, once the game is over, the guys are in a very, very sensitive state. You know, they just played a game for three hours, or whatever, three and a half hours. And recovery needs to happen quick because they're right back in lifting on Monday morning. And that's usually where we hit a really good lower body session. So, so we're not going to take it easy on the guys unless they have – you know, something happened in the game with the modify something. So that means recovery is, is consistently happening, happening throughout the week, but strategically guiding them and leading them up to Sunday. So they're at their best and mm. they feel they're at their best too. So what, what, what does it look like if you are, uh, if they're recovering, what are the, um, the type of foods that maybe they're eating? What's what, like, what's their plate going to look like? What are they putting in their mouth? Yeah. So we provide them with, a breakfast and a lunch. And if they want to take some additional food home to go uh, from the lunch, they can that way dinner is taken care of. And a lot of, you know, the smarter players end up doing that, but the guys that either have wives or families at home or chefs, you know, they don't necessarily feel the need to. So again, it's like hitting them with a good amount of complex carbohydrates at every meal, you know, tons of fruit, that's what I want to hear. Just I just want to hear that you guys are getting carbs in. We have so many people that are afraid oh, of carbs. Yeah. It's so it's just so good to <laughs> hear that because like we preach it all the time to our athletes at least, right? And they're like, no, 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 no. Body composition first. Don't fear the carb. Yeah, I know, right? No, so even for our guys that. that happen to be overweight in season who, you know, we're trying to get down. I mean, there, there's no, there's no room to risk 
anything, any adverse effects, any fatigue, any you know, lightheadedness from them depleting themselves or not taking in carbs, obviously because football is such an intense sport. It's heavily reliant on, you know, fossil creatine and muscle glycogen. They don't have a choice. So even, you know, even if it's a person that has some body comp issues, weight issues, then I'm going to maximize their intake, you know, before and right after, but then they need to be very diligent about what they do the rest of the day. So that's when they can actually make some smarter changes and not have to feel like they've got to cram carbs down. But, Again, that's where we use the workload to show them, like, this is what's going on in your body. Because a lot of them will think that lifts are much more taxing and expending. And that's when they need to make sure that they eat and drink a bunch after a lift. I'm like, no, if you look at it, lifts, lifts are very, very moderate to low intensity. Like, I, I try to do all the lifts that the players do, especially on the skill side. That way I have an idea of, of how what the flow is like, what the movements need to be. I can coach them up a little bit better, but the it's only thing I can't do is I, I can't do the running they do. Like nobody can like the work, the lifts are hard, but the running is just intense just because of how hard they go. It's competition. It's, you know, man on man, it's them, you know, solidifying their roster spot to feed their family because everybody's depending on them and their dad and their mom and their, you know, childhood friends. So they don't realize how taxing, how much trauma is, when they're competing, whether it's on the practice field or in games, that's, you know, that's obviously my job of making sure that they understand that and providing the foods that they're willing to eat. Cause not, you know, guys aren't hungry after practice. They kind of want to just sit around and mope around and look at their phone. But that's when we try to hit them with, you know, the things that they like and the things that they need, they know uh, that need, they know they need to have. Sure. Make it interesting. Um, I, I, I wanted to come back to the question about disseminating that information and making sure, Hey guys, recovery is important. Are you, are you standing in front of the team just trying to preach this like face to face? Or is this something where you're, you're doing education? There is like, you know, dietitian speaking session every Monday at this time. What's the best way to get this stuff across to them? Yeah. Strategically with our old staff, you know, we would put in talks during the year like there would be maybe one or two during off-season training and then one leading up to training camp just because of the change in temperature and the change in workloads we, I mean we hammer more hydration during that time period but then when we transition into the season then it's just talking more about you know how to structure the week what, comp, what to do on competition days you know all the stuff that we have provided to them and I think you know having talks with coach judge he's, he's a very big proponent of nutrition and he's going to want these educational modules for the players too, which is great because, I mean, if you can hit them all collectively, then it's kind of just plants the seed. Not everybody's just going to, you know, jump in wholeheartedly, but then we can kind of individualize it from there and kind of pull guys aside. And, you know, obviously we're observing what they're doing. You can kind of see, all right, this guy's doing the right thing. This guy's not doing the right thing. And then kind of tailoring our message to hit those guys that aren't necessarily eating what they should be eating you know, eating the amounts that they need to be eating, you know, checking them on weigh-ins. We weigh them in once a week. Uh, with our last staff, it was every Friday, and it's mandatory, so they can't get around it. So it just gives us an idea of, you know, it's more of a monitoring tool than, you know, it's not like we want to get them in trouble or find them. We just kind of want to know where they're at. Mm -hmm. And if, if they don't weigh themselves, they have no clue. So, you know, obviously, it's making sure that the linemen are being modest and they're not going crazy. And then for our skill guys, because a lot of them just sometimes – with the added stress, especially if they're a rookie or they've got a lot of stuff going on at home or, 
you know, if they have an injury and they're putting on a course of, you know, like steroids or cortisone or something like that, you know, all this stuff influences their appetite. And because they're so lean and they run so much, that that weight can just start snowballing. So again, that monitoring tool is really important for us. At least catch stuff before, you know, it just happens where a guy just shows up and he's, you know, eight pounds down and he's a receiver or a corner and he's supposed to be, you know, starting on Sunday. Got it. I I also wanted to know too, as you are uh, kind of going through your season, you may need some kind of support with this and kind of get ideas on how to talk to these guys. Are you ever like trading uh, like notes or talking with other dietitians, like say, you know, like Ted Harper up in, up in Boston or even Jordan Mazur over at the 49ers? Um, do you, do you guys talk? Is there like an open communication that way? Um, especially when you like trade players, Hey, you know what? I know I just took on your player. This is how I've seen him eating. Is there any way that maybe you can help kind of get a message across him? Do you guys ever kind of, uh, talk that way? Yeah, we've done in the past. I've had some reach out to me for players that have, you know, either been cut or have left our team that have got picked up by another, just kind of getting some background information on them and, We'll do that too from a medical perspective and from a strength conditioning perspective. So obviously it's good to keep these channels open. Uh, but in terms of, I don't know, I think, I think players take on different attitudes and different personas with different teams that they go into. And a lot of that just has to do with their mindset of how they acted with the team that they were. A lot of them will, will be very consistent and stay the same, but some might not like the team they're with. So they were always just non-compliant or grumpy and then they get traded or they get released or they get signed by somebody else and now they're happy again. That's so the experiences that one person has with one player could be completely different than with the people that are on their new team. Got it. Uh, Joe, uh, help me form this question because I don't know if I have a, a, a great question right now. But so 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 far, we've kind of gone through the uh, the preseason, right? Where it sounds like the focus was a little bit more just getting them prepared. You're kind of evaluating where they are body composition wise, making sure that you're maybe pushing that little bit of education kind of face to face. But overall, you're kind of seeing where they're at. We get into in season, you're trying to make sure that you're just helping them recover and that you're just fueling them appropriately. And sometimes I'm sure you're like, guys, just eat. I know that when I was working down at NYU, sometimes I felt like an Italian grandmother and I was just like, guys, just eat. You just need to eat some food right now. Please just do anything you can find. But um, so once we kind of get towards the end of the season um, and we're getting to the off season, what are you um, really setting them up with? Are there are there skills? Are you asking them to make sure that they're changing their diet? Are they walking away with, you know, you, you were mentioning um, your one player that wanted to go vegan. It sounded like you put a lot of work into that. But how are you setting your team up, your players up for success as you start to move out of the um, out of the season? Yeah, we'll try to get a handle on how many of the players are going to stick around the Jersey area and want to train at the facility. Most will, there'll be a handful that do that, but they'll be in and out because, you know, when the offseason hits, unfortunately, they just don't follow this. All right, this is my four months. This is going to be four lifts a week and then, you know, two to three days of on-field, you know, running routes and doing skill position work. Uh, they're kind of all over the place, especially, you know, when the Super Bowl's in February, a lot of them go down there because they get paid for appearances. Uh, we always leave them with, you know, off-season workout, a nutrition packet, and it's very extensive, but only a small handful will look at the nutrition packet. They usually spend more time looking at the workouts. Some will end up going to some training facilities that are, you know, very popular. They have you know, dietitians and really good strength coaches on staff, so they're able to be 
uh, they're, they're taken care of really well. Uh, but it, it's just a mixed grab bag mm-hmm. on, you know, who these guys put their trust in. Because there's some really good trainers out there, but there are also some really bad trainers yeah. out there. Mm-hmm. I actually like, just had a... Exos is a, is, a, is a pretty big facility for most players, right? Or, or am I wrong on that? Yeah, Exos is a, is a massive spot. We do have, you know, a small handful of guys that will maybe hit up one of their spots, whether it's in, you know, California or Florida. Yeah, so many. Uh, they're, all, they're all over the country, and they do a really good job of having good professionals. Actually, just... Uh, I had a player contact me a couple days ago. He said he hired a nutritionist locally, which is fine. Again, because I understand that it sounds not fine. He has complete. <laughs> <laughs> he has complete access to me, but sometimes he just wants somebody there to just yeah. like sit and talk with. Sure. And he said, "Well, this person told me to take the supplement, this, this, and this." And I'm like, "Well, you know, it's on the WADA ban list." Oh, I'm like, gosh. "Don't take it." Yeah, really. And he's like, all right, all right, she's fired. I'm like, yeah, you should probably just oh, run all your questions by me. That's and, you know, scary. sometimes they're just, they're hyper paranoid. They feel like they need to be doing extra and extra and extra. And the same thing goes with their training. You know, these guys are doing squats on BOSU balls with elevation training masks. And you're looking at it and you're like, none of that is going to help you be a better football player when your issue is you can't catch the ball, you know? Yeah. Sure, yeah. If you're focusing, you're focusing on the wrong thing. And it's unfortunate like you were talking about how, you know, nutritionists and trainers want to sensationalize and find that silver bullet. They also want to find that sexy workout because that's what the guys feel like they should be doing. You know, they want to go to the warm locale. They want to, you know, work out where people are watching them or in a really fun location. And they want to be doing fun stuff instead of, you know, the tried and true stuff, which they should be doing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like starting on, it's just, you know, maybe some high rep, just, shake out all the cobwebs and then do some eccentric training and then get into some strength and then getting some power. I mean, they don't want to do the same stuff they've done forever, but that stuff works. It does. Joe, I think you have a Unfortunately, question. Unfortunately, yeah. But, I, but I, I wanted to ask quickly just about the supplementation and then we can move on from that. But I'm curious because this, I think, is where a lot of the general population and our athletes and professional athletes maybe can, there is going to be some overlap here with supplementation. We have a lot of people looking for that, that thing that's going to take them to the next level. Um, and you know, being a sports dietitian myself, I definitely understand what we're looking at in terms of safety and what we're looking at banned substances. I'm always going to preach NSF, um, for sports certified, um, uh, supplements. And, uh, I actually just talked to one of my Facebook groups today about supplementation as well. The things that do work and the things that might not harm you, but might not do anything. Um, but what kind of supplements are you seeing? Um, and let's not take this as a general recommendation for anyone listening, but what are the supplements that you're usually seeing that are most beneficial for your athletes? And then maybe some supplements that you found that someone wants to take, or you have to be able to let them know, yeah, you know what? That's not really going to do anything for us right now. Yeah. And just like you said, the NFL is a big proponent of NSF. So that's the only thing that we're really allowed to use. And that's what we have in all of our policies with our docs in terms of distribution to either fix like a medical condition or a deficiency. Mm-hmm. So that's how we play. So we, we do some biomarker testing with quest who's been a great sponsor for us. And that's been very insightful. You know, this is stuff that you don't get to see a lot of with college athletes, maybe a lot of athletes in general, because it is expensive. It is time consuming. And sometimes you just don't know what to do with all these biomarkers when you're just looking at a full blood panel. It's like, all right, what do I attack first? So I think that's sure. one of the big things that I've, I've, been working on and researching over the past couple of years because now we have all these data points. Now we need to make it actionable with dietary supplementation, lifestyle changes. And it's really powerful when you can 
take results, like actual physical results from the players and show them, all right, you're deficient in this, 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 and this. This is how we can approach and attack it. This is what I want you to do supplementation-wise because I know you're not going to eat it, but this is how I, I feel you can change your diet. And then when the guys actually do stay pretty compliant on it, they start feeling better because I think the main thing is, you know, supplementation is always going to be warranted if you have a deficiency. And, and I'll say that to any athlete that, you know, they, they want the silver bullet, well, correct your deficiencies. That's a performance enhancer right there. I love that message. I mean, there's a reason. Yeah. We have, there's a reason we have, you know, RDAs for all of these micronutrients because they, they serve a purpose in the body and a lot of them the body can't make. So you've got to get them through the diet and or supplementation. Um, you know, some, some basic ones, I mean, obviously vitamin D, uh, DHA, EPA, fish oil, uh, calcium, you know, a lot of these players don't necessarily consume a ton of dairy and or they actually have legit dairy allergies. So obviously correcting that is going to be really important. Um, I mean, it really it becomes very individualized. Some have like zinc deficiency, some are just very, very low in magnesium. I think most of the general population, I mean, there's a lot of good studies on that, especially in athletes too. Mm-hmm. where magnesium isn't necessessarily consumed in the quantities that could be beneficial and or ergogenic. Um, you know, we try not to go super crazy with it because you know you, you open one door and then it just kind of explodes to where then they expect you to get every single supplement under the sun for them. Sure. And uh, you know, we just, we just, we just want to make sure we're correcting anything that's out of whack. You know, creatine is, is amazing. I think everybody on the planet should be taking it unless, you know, you're in a very weight sensitive sport where dude, if you eat like, five grams of extra carbs, you blow up a pound and you don't need that extra if you're, you know, in a weight class sport. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been preaching creatine to all the athletes over at tone house and even to the staff as well. Well, I've been using it too and it's made dramatic differences. Yeah. I mean, just for our listeners, why do you think creatine is so amazing? Well, it's multifunctional. So it's stored in our muscles. It's also stored in our brain, heart, testes, kidneys, so, you know, outside of just storing in the muscle and being able to provide, you know, another apostasy group for ATP replenishment, you know, it can help with delaying fatigue. It also has been protective. They've done some studies in college football teams that has been protective in um, reducing the risk of musculoskeletal injuries and also dehydration and cramping. Uh, so outside of just the physical effects, like for brain health and brain function, we know that if somebody has a traumatic brain injury or concussion, because creatine is stored in the brain, uh, brain creatine decreases significantly. And that's why, you know, post-concussive patients feel really tired and foggy is because their energy levels have been depleted. Uh, same thing with, you know, they're also looking at creatine and bone and then also creatine's effects on improving, you know, insulin sensitivity and helping patients that might be uh, type 2 diabetic and also those with heart failure. So, I mean, there's there's a use for almost everybody at any age, at any physical activity level. I mean, if my parents would do it, which they wouldn't, I would have them go on creatine just because they're, you know, they're getting older. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of benefits there. Same thing with a lot of my other family members on both sides of the family, older, younger, I think to be very beneficial. This, yeah, is, this sure. is interesting. I never thought, I've always thought about it from if you're training weightlifting, that creatine makes sense. But we're, we're saying that this is, truly for everybody there's there's a, a lot of uh 
cutting as research on brain health. So I'm really glad, Pratik, that you just mentioned that. And I think that's why the general population maybe can uh, just have their eye on it. Um, But I think people kind of hear supplements sometimes. They say, I'm going to be all natural. I'm not going to take anything. And I think people get scared and they think, oh, man, this is coming in 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 a pill or a powder. This can't be good for you. Um, and again, I think that information, understanding how to disseminate it right, the right way to kind of catch people's attention, um, you know, we, we, we have to get creative that way. But there is such a huge benefit. I just, I just want to take a minute and just say, I just love nutrition. I love science. <laughs> like that, 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 that's, it's just, it's, it's great. I love, I love to hear that. I think something we also, I, I turned Joe onto and some other athletes too, is just nitric oxide boosters, um, particular things like beta elite. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think that's, that's maybe something that you guys have utilized, uh, at your level as well. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah. We've got actually, you know, the guys have been really good over the past year of taking, you know, we've got a couple different options because sometimes they just don't want to take the shot because they don't like the flavor. Some just want to mix it with the powder, but the nitrate thing has been incredible. And even more research is coming out about, you know, when we initially started studying it, it was more for endurance athletes, but now there was a study I just read saying that, you know, the group that took their nitrate drink or shot or whatever it was ended up improving number of reps they did and overall power output and strength output for that exercise session. I think it, they were looking at upper body strength. So I'm thinking, you know, for off-season training, we want to see training adaptations for the guys that aren't normal users. Maybe this is something we do because obviously you're going to have different strength levels for a lot of players. And then the coaches that come in, they see and they're like, this guy needs to get stronger. So, oh, you know, what are the things we can provide them? Well, caffeine, creatine, nitrates. Hmm. You know, we can put them on a plan, which obviously is evidence-based and can somewhat hope to help them out for the short amount of time we have them before they're five weeks off. But mm-hmm. again, it's just, it's just whatever we can do to help them out. And a lot of them, like some of the secondary benefits, you know, they like the blood flow. They like the way it makes them feel. Some say that it makes them feel more, you know, virile with their wife, which is great. You know, good for you. Why not? That sounds great. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. Pretty, let me let me take this back to a second for uh, I got a question for you about just like the performance side of thing and just like peak performance. Um like a lot of our athletes, for example, are training for events and things like that. And clearly you guys have game day, you know, every Sunday uh generally uh during the season. I've always been curious how you can try to reach peak performance on a given day. Because as an example, you know, uh, like our class can be pretty intense and say one day I'm going to come in and I'm feeling super fresh and my legs are with me and you feel like you can go forever. Right. And that to me is like me at peak performance. Right. But there are other days I'll take class and, you know, your legs feel heavy. You, You feel like you just cannot move the way that you did. I mean, do you guys have this down to some type of a science to get everybody is as much as possible to peak performance on game day? Like, is it that predictable or things that you can do? Like from a theory standpoint? Yeah. But there, you know, there's so many different variables involved and mo- most of our players do a really good job of knowing their bodies and getting like massage and acupuncture and eating the right, you know, foods leading up to the game and, you know, trying to get enough sleep and doing mindfulness stuff and meditative stuff. So we'll, like, you know, they'll be sore during the week and a lot of them will be like, all of a sudden, like Saturday, the latter half of the day, everything just kind of clicked that they feel so much better. But then, you know, life happens and we travel, guys are, 
you know, out doing whatever on a Thursday night or Friday night, you know, we're out in the city and they've got friends, they'll stay up late. So, you know, curfew and then, you know, stay up late watching film or on the phone, you know, swiping at this and that or commenting on, on Instagram or Twitter or watching a movie. So a lot of that stuff, you know, that's going to hamper their ability to play, especially if they're not getting good sleep or, you know, they went out and had a, a meal with their buddies or their family, you know, before they had to go to bed check and it wasn't necessarily something healthy. So, you know, a lot of that kind of deters them being able to follow what we would, you know, quote unquote, theorize or put in play as peak performance. But again, that's a lot of the stuff that we've got to try to navigate and understand that these guys are human. Every single player, you know, has an issue that they could potentially improve or work on. Mm. And at the same time, since we're there, you know, if a guy presents the next morning on a Sunday and he's like, man, I didn't sleep very well, or I'm just not feeling it. I'm like, all right, well now I've got some tricks in my bag to get you ready to go into game day, as opposed to if, you know, he didn't say anything and none of us really knew that this person got, three or four hours of sleep. And then, you know, first quarter of the game comes to me and is like, my legs are just gone. And I'm like, shit, now I'm going to try to work backwards and see what happened. You know, it, it's happened. And even from a nutrition standpoint, we've got the same menu for Saturday night. We've got the same menus. And again, there's a lot of different things. So there's variety for everybody. So it's not just kind of watered down and boring. But there was this one game, I remember, it was a rookie player a couple of years ago just feeling like trash on the sideline. This is like, I think we're going into our first series or second series. And he's like, I just don't feel very good. I don't feel very good. I'm like, hey, what's going on? He's like, oh, it must have been what I had for breakfast. I'm like, what'd you have for breakfast? He's like, well, all I had was just this massive plate of bacon. I was like, okay. <laughs> your heart just drops. <laughs> You're like, no, and I'm, like, I'm like, is this your normal game day thing? No, nah, I just decided to do it. I'm like, okay, let's, you know, we got to get some Pepto in you and, Hopefully get it out of you at halftime and then, you know, rehydrate you. It's, so we're, it's a lot of stuff we're dealing with. So yeah. <laughs> there's always that human element that comes into play. But, but for us, the reason, you know, myself and the trainers are there outside of, you know, the trainers responding for injuries and you know, take care of all that is if a guy presents with something, we've got to come up with a solution right there on the spot. Our guy's like, I feel a cramp coming on. I'm like, great. <laughs> it's like 40 degrees out. What the hell are you doing? Yeah. So many moving parts there. I feel like it has to be yeah. an exciting thing to be a part of. It is, you know, because it, it really allows you to be in the moment and prove based on everything that you've learned and studied and use your intuition to come up with something really quickly. And I mean, it's like snap your fingers because this guy's about to go back in and, you know, 25 seconds for the next player, next series, and he's got to be completely ready and adrenaline's pumping. So, you know, he might not feel it right now until the game's over the next day. Yeah, I mean, this is this is incredible, man. I, I've gotten a huge amount of takeaways from you. Um, I honestly have many more questions. I think that we could go down um, for the sake of of your time. I, you know, I just really have one last question um, for you. And that is, what is the impact that you want to make on the fitness industry, even as a whole? Wow. That's actually a great question. No one's ever actually asked me that. And this is funny because at the beginning of this year, when I was talking about, well, I was talking to you guys about legacy and my definition of success, I kind of split it up into four different categories. One is, what can I do for the organization? 
and, and this stems from, you know, there, there's people that have been in the organization and it's a phenomenal organization for 15, 17, 20, 30 years. And, you know, they've retired in different sectors and then they get this big party and, you know, everybody cheers them, wishes them well. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I don't know exactly what my next step is going to be or what I want to achieve, but I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now because I'm learning a lot. And as long as I'm learning a lot, and I've got, you know, best boss ever. I want to continue doing what I'm doing in my role. And the second that I just don't feel like I'm very productive or I'm not learning that much, then I'm going to try to seek out the next challenge. So one was just trying to figure out what can I do for the organization and leave a legacy there. I mean, because no one's really going to throw a huge party for you know, the sports citation assistant coach because coaches are just gone and then replaced. You know, they'll replace my position, but I know that they can't replace me and how I work. So figuring that out. Second is, uh, what can I do for this RD field? You know, it's, it's still a very young field. I still feel there's a long way for us to go. And I feel, I think there's a lot that can improve upon. And I feel like I do have a platform now and enough learning experiences and have enough salt in the game to be able to contribute back something to it. And what exactly is that outside of just right now, Twitter and Instagram posts, I've got to figure that out. Same thing just with, you know, humankind. So what is my legacy to everybody outside of just the giant facility and the dietetics and standard conditioning field? And uh, I, I can't exactly answer that right now, but I hope it's just something new, innovative, pushing the boundaries, but also not being you know, too offensive in my thinking and methodology. But I think there's a lot of things that can be improved upon overall in terms of strength conditioning and nutrition, and then just helping people in general, because there's so much bad information out there. There's so much confusion. People, people need somebody to turn to who can provide them with, you know, the credible resources or the right information, or at least guide them to somebody that can help them out. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I just hope that I've had a positive impact on people in terms of making their life better, helping them realize things or being a mentor to them or, helping them progress in their career, their field, or improve, you know, something health or fitness related. I have no doubt that you already are and that you will continue to. I mean, I think, Pratik, this is why we started even this podcast is to, I, I think the more that we have conversations about different groups of people, athletes, and just people in general, we start to understand like the commonalities and the, the struggles that we all have within training and nutrition that it's all the same. I mean, just hearing what you were talking about with your players, it's like, man, we're struggling with the same problems here with our athletes, right? And we're going through the same type of psychological things, right? Like how do you get somebody to it? to adopt certain new habits, right? They're used to things or they have strong personalities or somebody is believing that one diet is the way to go. I just saw this documentary and you have to, you know, uh, kind of get back to practicality and be like, yeah, maybe it's the answer for, for this. But, um, it's just, it's just good to have these conversations, you know, to kind of open our eyes to, you know, we're all human beings and going through kind of the same journey here. Don't overcomplicate it as though what I mean. Yeah, exactly. We are, we're all pretty much the same. There's a lot of overlap. And I think after listening to this, a lot of people will find that there are so many commonalities. Don't make it harder than it needs to be. Yeah. Pratik, you are the man, dude. Thank you so much for joining this us today. Great. No, thank you for having me. We so appreciate it. We always ask though. Yeah. 
When are you going to be coming to Townhouse? When you coming, bro? Uh, is that my invite? Yeah, I need an invite first. Invite. This is your invitation. <laughs> Anytime. Well, I take it you guys are up on a weekend, so that would be my time to come in. All right, good. Saturday or Sunday. You just let me know. Perfect. Those are weekend days. All right, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to clarify. <laughs> All right, Pratik, thank you so much again. Um, and uh, we, this is really, I think, invaluable. So, yeah. yeah, appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yo, thanks for listening to another episode of The Breakdown, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did get anything from this, you found it beneficial, please remember to share, leave a comment, subscribe to our podcast. It's going to help us grow and make sure that we are going to be able to make great quality content for you guys. So make sure to share this with your friend, spread the word. We out here spreading knowledge.